Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is up, everybody, and welcome into the All-NBA Show, part of the All-City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Mates. I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler, and today a very special guest from Yahoo Sports and the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. He is Jake Fisher. It's, uh, it's a big week for you, Jake, with the trade deadline. How are you doing? It's a big week, but I don't. My my head doesn't deserve to be twice the size as your guys' heads. <laughs> like, Adam is Adam is without a doubt the best pickup player I know in the NBA media who is not a former NBA player. And legs, I don't know. You definitely don't remember this. I like came up to you probably 15 years ago, 20 years ago in the Sixers family section where my dad had season tickets and been watching you on ESPN forever, man. So my head does not deserve oh, to be. Good. Twice the size. Good, good. No, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought it up. I, 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 I was like, oh, hopefully he's going to say I was nice. I was nice to him. You were. So. You definitely were. I remember. <laughs> I remember like throwing trade deadline thoughts at you and you not batting them away because I was like a, tw- a 12 year old idiot. So I appreciate your uh, consciousness. <laughs> Perfect, not man. consciousness, but Yeah. Very good. Well, good. To, good to be talking to you again. Sure, it would be yeah. hilarious if you came in, Jake, and were like, I met you 20 years ago. Total jerk. Like, it just completely blew me off as a kid. That would have made a better story, I think. Um, nah, I, don't, I don't think you could have the success that Lex has had not treating people well in this business. So there you go. Very, very true. We're going to get into a bunch of trade deadline buzz. Also talk a little bit about his book, which is very interesting and I think pertinent uh, to some of the stuff going on in the NBA. But first, we're presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. So I want to start. If you could pull it up, Emma, your book, Built to Lose, which came out you know, last year, how the NBA's tanking era changed the league forever. And I wanted to start here before we get into uh, the trade stuff, because I think it plays in a little bit to what's going on in the NBA. The book primarily talks about the 76ers. They were the, the face of tanking, you know, the, this this whole idea of, of trust the process, long, longest view in the room, and so on and so forth. I feel like tanking has changed a little bit, and I'm curious if you feel tanking has gotten better or if it's gotten redirected since the Bush book has been published, and in particular with the idea of the uh, the play the yeah the play-in, where now you almost get teams like the Lakers who seem to take the regular season less seriously. They're almost tanking in the middle, not to be terrible, but also not necessarily <laughs> trying to be great. Do you feel like it's just moved around a little? I do think the play-in tournament's been like a direct result of that era of the fact that you know what the thunder did for a couple years and what houston did for way way longer than almost anybody even like the detroit losing streak of right now hasn't gotten any of the attention that i think sam hinky's tenure did because they were so brazen about it and 
it just it, it didn't the league didn't like that it was leading sports center and, and i remember back at the time when i was at sb nation like liberty ballers the sixers blog was the number one right. traffic generator like of all the teams like they don't want it to be like a top tier discussion point of what the nba is doing and the business that's being conducted i think like overall the fact that the title race was at that point in time like so narrow you know you had my you had miami you had lebron and cleveland you had golden state like it was right. so clear that there was really no chance to win a title unless you had these generational type talents and i think it's kind of been validated in the fact that the the, the window for a championship has seemed to be kind of open for everybody but like you still need one of those or a couple of those guys if you don't have nicole Jokic, if you don't have Giannis Antetokounmpo. Steph Curry did it again. Like none of those guys were picked in the top five, but traditionally that's where those types of talents really are available. And the most direct route for any team to get them is obviously there. So it's interesting to see how I think the play into your point that it's direct mechanism was to try to dissuade teams from tanking, but also to bring it back to the trade deadline and, and to task it's had as big an impact as anything on the NBA being that so many teams to your point, aren't willing to sell anymore because they think they still have a shot. But that rise right. of analytical minded thinking from Sam Hinkie to Pete D'Alessandra to Ryan McDonough to Rob Henning in Orlando, the Danny Ainge front office in Boston, like that's permeated the league to the point where we're having these super wonky cap conversations around this time of year. Well, Jake, to me, I, I look at the league and I think, you know, we always we would categorize them by haves and have nots. It seemed like for a long time and the have nots were those teams that would understand they weren't in that category to compete. So then they strip it down. They go into tanking. They try to get a high pick and, and then try to do it that way. It feels like there's like almost a third category now. I think there's like kind of haves. Right. I think there are a lot of teams that have maybe one young star on their team, maybe a pretty good secondary player that probably should be a third best player. That would make you something you know more competitive and i feel like as a result there are more teams in the mix or interesting at least to me that i want to watch every night because i don't think they're that far off and so to that point it seems like that would mean that some of these veteran guys that their names have been you know coming up all year that could be available at the trade deadline would be guys that might fit the bill for some of the teams i'm talking about that are in that middle tier but i i Correct me if I'm wrong, but I get the impression that, that you might think, you know, some of the noise around some of these guys is just not going to happen. So let's start with some of these guys. I want to talk about Zach Levine because that started right at the beginning of the year. Like right off the bat, they're having a team meeting opening night, and you're like, wow, the Bulls are in trouble, mess. Levine's <laughs> name comes up. Then he gets he, get, he doesn't play for a while. They start winning. They kind of turn around their fortunes this year. Where are we with Zach Levine in terms of how the Bulls view him? And if you think it's possible somebody makes a run at him, who is the most likely to get into the mix for him? At this point, especially now that he's having another season-ending surgery, which I you know, think back to the, the first ACL and a bunch of other stuff in between, I think that coupled by the long-term salary and the massive dollar figure that's going to come every single year and the fact that he has never really proven to be capable of driving winning on his own. Sure. Could he be maybe differently cast as a number three option somewhere else to your point legs and have much more success without a doubt. I mean, very different situations, but look at just what the injection of OG Ananobi has done in New York, for example, how 
different contexts around a lot of these guys can be much different from the standpoint of winning. But I think with Zach, the word had been pretty consistent that there wasn't much interest in him around the league for what the Bulls were looking back for his overall resume, if you will. The last thing we had heard about was with Detroit, where I definitely got word of a lot of different packages or ideas or concepts, whatever you want to call it. And don't really think they were, I mean, I, as I said on our show this morning, that's going to come out later today with Vinny Goodwill. Like I can't put it on a certain yard line. It's hard to pick a barometer for that, but like they definitely got past the 50 and had conversations with Detroit. But I think Mm. after this injury, from what my understanding, it it seems almost guaranteed he's not going to get moved right now. What about the rest of the roster? Because to me, his injury signaled, okay, what are you doing with DeRozan? Caruso, obviously, I imagine a lot of teams are interested in Caruso, but even DeRozan, Vucevic, the Bulls are always so reluctant to hit the reset button, but this feels like God telling them to hit the reset button and go ahead and do this. Is there any movement? Do you get the sense that maybe Chicago is finally arriving at that point that it's time to try to recoup what you can from the remaining of that core? It sounds like they're definitely going to listen. The thing with Chicago has always just been they're going to hold their price firm. And I think with Alex Caruso, for example, he's going to have and will have and has had by far the widest market of any player on the roster where, I mean, he's he's going to go for much higher than what like Milwaukee can give, for example. But like the Bucks would love to snap their fingers and turn the second round pick they have and campaign and Pat Connaughton, I'm sure you can go down the list. How many teams would love to add Alex Caruso into the mix for not that much of a price point, but because of that, like, is he really worth a Drew Holiday type package? Now, you're not going to have to send out as much salary, but it's definitely like two first round picks and then some seems to be the price there. So I, I don't know if he's really going to actually change teams there, but that doesn't mean there's not a shortage of interest in teams who are going to try. With DeMar, the fact that he's expiring, you would think, okay there's a really strong chance he could just walk out the door for nothing. And even though he's not a Fred Van Vliet to Toronto or a Pascal Siakam to Toronto, you're right. You would think that Chicago will figure out or at least try to look to figure out ways to get something back in return for someone who they gave up a first round pick and then more to get back in the 2021 summer. So I don't know exactly where that landing spot could be because his salary number is still pretty high. You would, heard some flirtation stuff with the Lakers and Miami, you know, the heat I think are kind of ruled out after getting Terry Rozier. The Sixers, I think have always kind of rebuffed the idea that they're a DeMar DeRozan team. So I, I, that's one, one of the things I'm trying to figure out as the week goes on is a real market for him. But for now, I, I think is more of an idea than like someone who's got lined up suitors ready to make an offer. All right, let's move on to another guard. And one of the reasons I think Caruso is so interesting to so many teams because this league has become increasingly porous defensively on the perimeter. The rules set it up that way. It's a lot harder to guard guys. And in a league where more guys, I think, use that as a little bit of an excuse now to not have to guard because it's a trade basket mentality, Caruso still gets into you and gets after it and fights over picks and likes to do all that stuff. Another guard that actually made a name for himself in this league first defensively is DeJounte Murray. And, and I look at his name comes up a lot. And I look at Atlanta, and it's it, I think they're probably looking at that situation and saying this just isn't necessarily a winning combination. Those two guards together. Trey Young is your face of your franchise. He's your market. He's not going anywhere. So DeJounte Murray becomes interesting. 
Anybody out there you think looking at him as you know, a real game changer for them? And, and if so, who would that be? And what's the price tag for a guy like DeJounte Murray? And is Atlanta seriously considering breaking those two guys up? They're definitely seriously considering it. I think it's a matter of who can actually meet their price, which I've heard it's two first round picks. And then they really want a legitimate player back too. I think the player might even be more that more of like importance to Atlanta because the Hawks don't their Hawks aren't looking at this as let's just trade DeJounte and start a rebuild around Trey and Jalen Johnson. They're saying, How can we shake this deck up and add to Trey Young and Jalen Johnson? I think the draft pick capital is really just about the the stakes of, of trading someone at that level of talent and the fact that they sent three out the door. So I've only been able to pinpoint offers from the Lakers and Jazz. That's not to say there hasn't been others to emerge, but those are the only two I've been able to confirm. But at this point, and and the Hawks have kind of been signaling this across the league all along. I do think that there really is a strong chance they keep him after all this. The Hawks have won four straight now, and it doesn't seem like they really have the price point that they want. And historically, they did this two years in a row with John Collins, if you recall. They put him out there That's and put right. him out there and nothing ever materialized. And it's not just Atlanta. A lot of teams around the league are looking at the new CBA landscape and looking at the, the challenges that come for salary matching purposes for teams above the apron, plus the fact that this summer teams like the Lakers are going to have access to two more picks. You know, The Bucks don't have a first-round pick to trade, for example, right now. There could be a lot more teams with a lot more draft capital to play with for DeJounte Murray come draft time than right now. This is a, it's such a perfect example of what we were just talking about with regards to the play-in because they're both the 10 seed, Atlanta and Utah. Utah is rising, Atlanta is falling, but when you talk about maybe Atlanta holds on to them, they're almost viewing themselves as the same. I don't think they are. Atlanta seems to have reached who they are going to be, whereas Utah is clearly in the first stages of discovering who they're going to be. So that's an interesting dynamic. I want to ask, though, the big news of the weekend was Joel Embiid, possibly out for the year, certainly out for a long time. They were one of the most interesting teams in the trade market, I thought, coming into it. Bruce Brown, maybe even Caruso. Do you get a sense that this injury is going to change how they approach this trade deadline? I think it has to from the standpoint of you're no longer going to be adding someone who's playing next to Joel Embiid for the next one to two months. Right. Like That's just massive sample size to consider the fact that you're looking at if you have if you have a guy who like is on an expiring contract, you're really only going to have X amount of sample size to figure out how does he actually truly fit, not just on paper, but in reality next to Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid. I've always thought that Philly, though, regardless of you know even before this, I thought they were going to be far more explorative than aggressive in terms of what's actually become available to them. Just being that mm. the Sixers have always kind of harped on the fact they're going to have this massive amount of cap space this summer that, sure, Detroit will be able to match, but there's really no other contending team or team that has real legitimate contending aspirations when healthy that could really compete with the type of room Philly is going to have to either sign someone or to welcome someone via trade. So I think the, they've been more pa- they've been willing to be more patient than I think Sixers fans probably would want them to be. And also maybe like the public perception is just because they kind of have this fallback plan if guys they really prefer and want aren't there right now. And they're really, really, really going to make sure that they don't 
kind of just uh, the expression coming to mind is not the most, I don't know. They're, they don't want to like burn a hole. In, they don't feel like they're burning a hole in their pocket with these picks in the cap space. They don't want to spend it mm-hmm. on the wrong fit and have buyer's remorse. I think they're going to be more uh, concerned about making sure it's like a bullseye when they throw a dart and not just like throw it and hope it lands somewhere close. Jake, I'm looking at the Western Conference. It's kind of a strange year because you got Oklahoma City and Minnesota there at the top. And yet you've got all these teams. And look, it might not end up that way. As hot as the Clippers are, Denver's right there. I mean, who knows what that top four seeding will look like. But still, these two teams are there at the top of the West. And are, are they are they in a situation where they're still trying to figure out, like, how good are we, particularly Oklahoma City, with this super young core that they have, they have one, you know, legitimate big time star, great role definition around Shea Gilgis Alexander. Are they still trying to kind of gauge like how good are we, but by letting them have a postseason run as currently constructed, or do you think they're looking at the West and saying, yeah, this is really nice, but we also know, look at the star power at the top of these other rosters. And some of them are kind of still figuring themselves out. We're not good enough to contend or win a title this year. And so we're going to go ahead and we're going to do something else and add something to our team. Where do you think the mentality is internally with the way Oklahoma City views themselves? You know, if OKC takes Davis Berton's salary and a first and just upgrades with like a real backup center to, to supplant Chet Minutes or when he gets in foul trouble, I wouldn't be surprised. But generally speaking, the word about the Thunder is that they are going to be patient they are not going to rush anything even more so than what I was just saying about Philadelphia and that there is real value in waiting to see what this group looks like in the playoffs. You know, could they make it even two rounds in and get like a eight to 12 game sample size to like really see different lineups against different types of uh, personnel? You know, if they get the Phoenix Suns in one round and Denver another, for example, like that's just two very, very different makeups right. and you could, gauge and really evaluate what you've got depending on those types of situations. I think with Minnesota, they're much more clear at who they are. This is kind of like a small window here where the point, like I wouldn't fault anyone in the Wolves front office if they are thinking, shit, we might have a one-year window here, like before all the salary stuff hits the fan. Let's just like go get a backup guard right now that can really help us get there. I'm not saying they think that because obviously Anthony Edwards is young, McDaniels is young. But like the other end of their core, Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley are like clearly not long for the ride as long as Anthony Edwards is. So I do think the Wolves have like really pinpointed we are looking at the top tier reserve guards that we can to to really supplant our offense when Mike Conley's on the bench. Last one for me, Jake. Two guys that I that whose names keep floating around who I think could swing the title this year are Miles Bridges and Bruce Brown. Now, obviously, there's a lot of baggage attached to Miles Bridges. Bruce Brown is a guy that won a title last year. What is the latest on on those two guys, and who are the teams that seem to be targeting both of them? So the teams for Miles Bridges that I have heard are Detroit, Utah, and Phoenix, where Phoenix has clearly a ton of Michigan State connections, where Matt Ishbia was part of the same right. program, the same Tom Izzo program that Miles Bridges came from. They only have the really Nasir Little and second round picks to trade. And it seems like Charlotte is hoping for a higher return. So I'll have more about that coming at Yahoo today. But I'm curious to see if there actually is a deal to be had there between Phoenix and Charlotte. For Bruce Brown, 
the Raptors are looking for a first round pick as well, and maybe even more. And I think they're going to have a long list of teams that are interested. The teams that come up the most for me have been the Lakers, the Knicks. I think the Knicks and Bruce Brown make perfect sense for each other. He fits. I mean, he might be like one of another thing that the Knicks have, but like they already have a bunch of six, four, six, five switchable dogs who just are all over the Madison square garden floor. And I think he'd fit in really, really well with what Tom Thibodeau likes to do there. I also would be curious to see if Milwaukee does decide that Bobby Portis is a necessary sacrifice to make in their quest to upgrade on their perimeter defense. I, I don't think they have, Man. I mean, they don't have the same level of draft capital that New York has, or even that the Lakers have, but the bucks to my understanding are like very, very actively and aggressively shopping to find perimeter defensive upgrades. And there might not be anyone better who's actually available than Bruce Brown. Last one for me, Jake. I just want to ask you real quick about the Indiana Pacers. I know they already made a big move by, by getting Siakam. I just think they're a lot closer than people think to really being scary for some of those top teams because of their style of play with a superstar you know, point guard that makes everybody better on the floor. I think Matherin is, is still an emerging guy as part of a big three. But they're also a team, I think, that could use a little bit more length and size defensively, you know, that can guard multiple positions and guard those guards. DeAndre Hunter's a name I've heard come up. Do you, do you think Indiana is still in the market to do something else, or is this pretty much the Siaka move was it for them, and now they'll they'll get to the summer and reevaluate? Yeah, I think DeAndre Hunter was one of the many names from him to Tobias Harris to An Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga. I mean, go down the list of forwards that Indiana has been looking for three years now, basically, to plug into that lineup between Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner that I think did ultimately end with Pascal Siakam. I, you know, I've heard stuff about can they still look to maybe make a consolidation trade, being that Jairus Walker was already buried on the bench behind Obi Toppin and Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. So I'll be curious to see if Atlanta, or excuse me, Indiana does look to make one more, okay, can we take these three players and turn them into one or two into one? But they've been quiet of late. Again, another team that I am definitely have written down is I want to find out more about them as we get closer to Thursday because it has been pretty quiet about the Pacers since they went out and got Pascal. Jake, I know it's a busy week for you. Thanks for taking some time. Plug, you got the show coming up later on. What time is the show and, and, and what's going on with it? Well, we already recorded a uh, good word with goodwill today. So just going to, it's just about editing and publishing that'll come out on yeah. the ball. Don't lie podcast feed. We've got divine or divine intervention, excuse me, with Dan divine on Tuesday. And then me and Dan on our show, no cap room again, all on the ball. Don't lie podcast. Uh, that comes out Thursday. We're recording that like right as the deadline's ending. So it's going to be instant reaction. Maybe I'll get little tidbits along the way as we're recording and we're going to have a bunch of different stuff all week long as we do every week on the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Yeah. One of the best in the biz. And of course, his book, Built to Lose. Check that out. You can pull it up again, Emma, for us. Uh, Jake, thanks so much for joining us. Have a good one. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the hospitality. Thanks, and there is the book right there. You guys can get it on Amazon. Get it wherever you get your books. All right, all, right, all right. Let's take a quick break. On the other side, I want to react to some of the stuff he said there, Legs, I found to be very interesting. Um, and so I want to go back and forth on some of my big takeaways from that. And then we're going to get to some of the interesting games over the weekend, including the Jazz beating the Milwaukee Bucks, the Bucks beating the Mavericks, and of course Embiid's injury. All of that and more on the other side. But real quick, 
If you are looking for tickets to a big game or even the big game this weekend, check out the Game Time app. That's right. You can even get Super Bowl tickets on the Game Time app if you're willing to spend several thousands of dollars to go watch that one. Actually, it should be a really good game, probably worth the several thousands of dollars. But maybe you're looking for a littler game this week, an NBA game. Uh, hop on the Game Time app. They've got that great feature where you can get last-minute deals, flash deals, set reminders. If you are keeping your eye on a section or a specific game, it'll send you reminders whenever the prices drop. And they have that all-in pricing feature so you don't get surprised with fees when you check out like so many of those other ticketing apps. So download the Game Time app, create an account, use code ALLNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code ALLNBA for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. I also want to tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook. This is the greatest week to download the DraftKings app because the Super Bowl is the greatest event to bet on in all of sports. You've got so many different prop bets. It's not just who scores touchdowns, you know, who's going to throw for how many yards and what have you, like typical. With the Super Bowl, you can bet on anything. How long is the anthem? Who's going to show up at the halftime show? All those different things is what makes the Super Bowl a special event. And right now, you can download the DraftKings uh, Sportsbook app, use code ALLNBA, and you're going to get that great deal where you bet $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets whether you win or lose. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use code ALLNBA, and bet $5 to get $200 instantly in bonus bets, win or lose. Only on the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code ALLNBA, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. New York, call 878-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and older age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Legs, some really interesting stuff in there. The first one I want to go to is... He mentioned the idea, like, Miles Bridges is a really good player. Obviously, there's a lot of controversy around him. I think bringing him in, whether you're Phoenix, whether you're Milwaukee, or any other contender, there's a distraction factor of bringing him in. And there's also maybe just a vibe factor to a team. And I thought Bobby Portis was the perfect guy to talk about as the guy you would have to sacrifice. Because Bobby Portis, while I don't know how great of a player and how positively he impacts winning, I think you can debate that. He certainly seems like a culture guy for them. And to sacrifice him to bring in a player who maybe actually makes your team better, but you lose the culture, that's always a tough trade-off. What, what are your thoughts about that specific idea and then that concept at large about bringing in a guy that has a lot of controversy around him? Right. It's an interesting one because I, you know, I've talked about Portis a lot last couple of years and, and his popularity in Milwaukee. And I always say one basket out of pop, Bobby Portis is worth 10 points to the box it feels like at home because of the way they react to him. Yeah. I, I think probably outside of Giannis and now Lillard, because he's a very popular guy, obviously. I think Porter's the next, next most popular player on the roster. Yeah. Um, the way that they react to him, right? And, you know, and think about it. He's got, he had some baggage earlier in his career. Right. Okay? Right. right? I mean, he punched a teammate, broke his jaw, um, Miritich in practice, and, and put him out for basically the season. And what happens is – you know, and, and 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 these are all things that are shocking at the time, and obviously there's a lot of a lot of coverage of it, a lot of negative scrutiny that these players get. Bottom line is in professional sports, once you if you're able to change places and then you you go play well and help a team win and become important, 
I got news for you. All the all the chatter and all the talk that that happens in the beginning when you first get there will go away if you're right. actually going to help that team win. That's what it comes down to. And for Miles Bridges, I mean, this was a guy that it has you know serious talent. Got himself and by his own doing, all kinds of trouble off the court. Missed a lot of time. Came back. He's playing for Charlotte now, so he's now in the say going to hit the trade market. Yeah, that's a big risk for Milwaukee when you look at how popular Portis is. And now you bring in a guy, if they were to do it, bring in a guy like Bridges to replace him, there's going to be an awful lot of trepidation about that at first. From the media coverage in Milwaukee, the fans, all of that stuff. It comes down to, does he do things on the court that give you a better chance to win alongside Giannis and Lillard? And it takes time to figure that out. But ultimately, that's that's what a decision like that would come down to. I think, look, Bridges is much more athletic than Bobby Portis. He gives them a different type of dimension than what Portis gives them right now. Because Portis is a very yeah. good sixth man, and he, and he plays hard. He competes. He's, he's turned himself into a good three-point shooter. He's, he's a sixth man energy guy off the bench. But there are things that, that Bridges can do athletically that Bobby Portis just can't do. And, and, and that's something I think when they look at their team, I think they'd like to get a little bit more balance, a little bit more athletic on the perimeter. So that's an interesting one, man, because it is a trade-off with something like that. And at the end of the day, you've got to come in and perform, fit in. Obviously, you've got to show that you got your house in order off the court and that right. you're a different person and that you're changed and that you, you know, you, you worked on yourself with some of the issues that you have in your personal life. And then it's going to come down to do you help us win? Because right now that that franchise in a situation every single year now that they don't win a title is a wasted year because of what they have done to acquire Damian Lillard and pair him alongside Giannis. And all those guys are going to do is get one year older every year. So that's that's a tough one, uh, Adam, for the Bucks to sort of evaluate because there is a whole personal component to it that transcends the basketball part. The big news over the weekend, and it might be the biggest news really of, of the season so far when you talk about consequential things to happen, is that Joel Embiid is going to require surgery. He's going to be out one to two months. As an estimate, there's still a lot shrouded in mystery, by the way, about this whole injury. There's still a lot that's like unclear. Maybe he doesn't come back. Maybe he comes back one to two months. But the 76ers are four and 10 without him. They got the 51 piece from Maxi in their first game gone, but then they lose to the Brooklyn Nets at home. And they are four and 10 this year without him. I look at this and I go, they've already fallen in the standings, you know, by virtue of him missing a handful of games. They're fifth in the standings. But if you miss one to two months, is it possible that the 76ers are just a seven, an eight, maybe even a nine seed? They fall that far? And if so, are you concerned about what they can do this season? Has you, have, have you written them off? First of all, I think there's a very good chance that that's kind of how far they do fall. What's ironic about this, and this actually happened with Curry a few years ago. He missed a large chunk of time in the regular season and then came back and looked fresher than ever. And so now you had this team with a fresh Steph Curry going into the playoffs. And I don't think it's the year they won it, but it, it, he looks so good. It's like right off, right away, you're like, wow, you, know, you want to have to play that team now with all the rest and how fresh the guy's legs are. And this is a little bit different here with Embiid because of the history of, of injuries, because of his size and weight and all of that. This is going to be not going to be so simple. And I remember you and I talked about this last week, and I said it's how weird it was that like they didn't say what the MRI showed. They just right. said – that, right, they just said there's gonna be further evaluation, and they didn't really say. Well, they, and I said, listen, 
there's only a couple ways to go. Typically, if you've got a torn meniscus, you're either going to get it repaired or you're going to get it removed. Yeah. That's it. You're not going to just let it kind of heal on its own. And that's sure enough, that's what's going to happen now. I don't listen. I don't know if Joel Embiid's going to make it back this season or not. There's going to be all kinds of considerations for a guy like this. I mean, a guy this dominant that has an injury like this and you, you get him back, let's say, what, with a couple weeks left in the regular season? Are you going to even think about putting him out there at that situation and for a postseason run? I mean, that that's you know right. that's what you worry about. So who knows if we see him again? If we do, he's certainly going to be rested and fresh, but he'll probably on a, on, be on a, some sort of minutes restriction and everything else. I don't even know what his impact's going to be. I think the Philadelphia 76ers season is cooked. I just don't see how they fall a few spots in the standings. Most likely are going to be a play-in team if you survive that. First of all, I don't think you survive it without Embiid. If you do, right. if he's playing, all right, now you got to go take on who? Boston? Milwaukee? Right. When he's missed all that time, I just unfortunately I think he's I think their season is cooked now. And I think what it's done is create this incredible vacuum and void in that three four spot that's gonna be interesting. Because now you look like New York Cleveland, maybe we're gonna play each other in the first round as a four or five. Now there's a very good chance right. they both play at home in the first round. Right. And so the jockeying for for those spots and what this has created with the bead being out is very interesting. It is interesting, the East, how it got sh uh, just got shaken up. And you're right. The way I view the Eastern Conference is I do think those under seeds can upset. Like you look at it and say Indiana's had Milwaukee's number, the Magic, the Heat, those are scrappy, tough teams. You don't pick them, but you, know, you wouldn't be surprised if they upset. But you don't pick any of them to upset three rounds in a row. You're not going on the road yeah. three, three times and beating all of them. And now the 76ers look like they're going to fall into that category where even if they get Embiid back – it's no longer okay. You get one or two easy rounds. Now it looks like you're just going to have to go through the, you know, the gauntlet, and that's just going to be too tough. Um, so that that's a that's a really strange one. And then he mentioned in the offseason, you know, maybe going after a star. Here's an interesting thing about all of the conversation that's that we had with Jake. Everybody feels like their window is open for forever, and everybody feels like their process is the true process. And you look at the 76ers now and you think holding on to assets and saying we're going to go in all, all all in the summer and try to add another star this might be the best year of Embiid's career if he's coming back from this injury who knows what he looks like now this is a lot of knee injuries he's on the other side now of 30 you look at that and go even if they were to get a marquee name and I don't know who those names are going to be maybe Jimmy Butler's available it's rumored you know the Miami Heat might not be bringing him back even if you go out and add a player like that a superstar player you're still looking at a year that might feel less promising than what this one felt like a month ago. Listen, I, I just think it's it's at the point now with Embiid and his issues with trying to stay healthy for a prolonged period of time. And it seems like every year in the playoffs, there's something going on with him going in or during it happens, you know, even in, in the year that they played Toronto in the first round and he catches that elbow at the end of the closeout right. game and affects him the next series. It just seems like, some of it's bad luck. Some of it's just probably genetics. Some of it's just his size, whatever it may be. I think we're past the point now of giving him the benefit of the doubt that like, he's going to have this sustained run of good health for an entire regular season and a two-month postseason run. It's, it's, it's unfortunate to say that and to look at it that way, but it's just look at the track record. Very difficult. So, yeah, they can view their team that way and say, hey, look, you know, a healthy Embiid plus Maxi now and where he has ascended – and Tobias Harris is your third guy. Like, we get another piece. I mean, you know, great. But can Joel Embiid stay healthy for all of that in the first? Anyway, 
like regardless of what you do. And I think that's a lot of conversations now internally are going to be affected by this and and how they view him and his viability going forward and, and, and his ability to stay healthy. It's unfortunate, yeah. man, because he was playing out of his mind. And I was so curious to see what a postseason was going to look like with Embiid and Maxi because of how different it looked right. with a Ben yep. Simmons or a James Harden, right? And some of the issues those guys had, I didn't see Maxi having those kinds of issues. I don't think he's affected that way by the pressure. Um, and so I really was curious to see what would be different about this postseason and with Nick Nurse there now. How right. different would that postseason yep. run look? We might not get an, a chance to find that out. We'll have to wait and see. It's a couple months away before we have to realize if he's out for the rest of the year. But it doesn't it doesn't look good. It doesn't look like it's going to be an impactful run regardless. One name that's interesting that we didn't ask Jake about that I've seen pop up in rumors is Dorian Finney-Smith. This is an interesting one to me because he's not the type of guy – you have to be a contender to add him and him make an impact. He's not the type of guy that's going to make a mediocre team great. But there's a lot of really good teams out there that maybe if you were able to add him as like the sixth, seventh, eighth piece, then all of a sudden he becomes really good. Do you what do you think of Dorian Finney Smith being available? And do you think he's a guy that can swing it for a Milwaukee or a Dallas or or a Denver or that caliber of team that's already kind of in the hunt? I'll give you another team, actually, that I already mentioned. And and so I hear what you're saying. He's not a guy that's gonna put a mediocre team to the next tier. I agree right. with that. Except one team, I think that is such, he's such a perfect fit for mm. what they need and really what he does offensively, which is primarily spot up and shoot. But the way he defends and guards, and I, like I said earlier, I think they're closer than people think it's Indiana. I don't know. Wow. If, and you've got, you've got some guys there that they got some interesting decisions to make, whether it's now or whether it's over the summer or, or, or whatever, but you know, Buddy Heald, has an, you know, has an expiring contract. They've got shooting. Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, gives them still some shooting, not on the level of Buddy Hill, but gives them significantly more defensively. And the guys that, if Indiana wants to get serious, the guys that now you're going to have to guard in the Eastern Conference and some of those players you've got to be able to guard, Dorian Finney-Smith fits the bill for that and fits their style. Just run spot up, play off of Halliburton, and play off the high ball screen and play off a transition and run to spots, but then on the other end, really guard people. So Indiana would be a very interesting team. I just don't know, like Jake said, you know, do they feel like, okay, we've done enough this year by adding Siakam? That That's a pretty significant move. Let's just see what that looks like and let it play out. But they've got some guys that, like, I think they need to make some decisions on. Um, right. Heald, Obi Toppin, like some of these guys that I think it's, it's just a surplus of wings. Dorian Finney-Smith's a little bit different because of his defensive prowess. It's so hard to make moves in the regular season and real like this late and then have it come to fruition. We talk about teams like Oklahoma City maybe being too stagnant. Maybe they trust their process too much and they could miss their window. But a team like Indiana changing their roster to the degree that they already have and then making another change, that presents its own challenges of like now you have eight weeks to figure out where everybody's role is and everything else. That's tough to do. Um, you want to talk about this Bucks Jazz game from over the weekend? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm curious. I have some thoughts on the Jazz, but I'm curious what you saw in this game that 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 you singled out to be so interesting. I just felt like one thing that stood out to me was for for Milwaukee. Well, first of all, take take this into consideration. Now, Milwaukee is a title contender. Yep. 
They got outscored by 29 points in a 10-minute stretch in the fourth quarter. 29 points. They had the game perfectly in control. They're up 14 with 11 minutes to go. And they lose by 15. And it was basically done primarily with like some bench guys that really hurt them. Keontae George killed them. Kessler Walker was hugely okay. impactful in this game. Jordan Clarkson was big. Um, and so you look at you look at the way that this game ended. It was just stood out to me. It was like Lillard seemed like he was in the mindset the whole time of like get myself going. And they were playing perfectly well with other guys. Like it was it just it wasn't his night. He didn't look good the entire night. His shot did not look good. He wasn't in rhythm. And I understand great players are going to keep shooting, right? I understand that that's kind of part of their DNA. But I also think they were playing a certain way and they were perfectly fine with the contributions they were getting from other people. If maybe that's a night that Lillard just goes, you know what, it's not my night, man. I'm going to look to like make some plays for people off the dribble. I'm going to look to just do something else other than score. And he, he didn't really do that, man. And I thought – you know, he continued to miss shots even during the fourth quarter while Utah was making the run. And I felt like the Bucs could have stopped this run. And they really didn't because their offense just completely bogged down. They weren't getting stops on the other end. And next thing you know, you look up, you know, you think a 14-point game for a team like Milwaukee in the fourth quarter, like maybe you lose, maybe you lose at a buzzer beater. They lost by 15 points. They were up 14 yeah. with 11 minutes to go. I mean – it, it was they, they, Utah won the game going away. It was just so bizarre to me, the turn of events on a night when Milwaukee thoroughly outplayed them, and they looked pretty good. I thought defensively they were competing. They 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 had the the style and pace of the game fit them, and then just like that, blink of an eye, it just completely disappears, and they get smoked. And now Doc, look, they're one and three since Doc got there. I'm not making any judgments on Doc Rivers. Course. But they still clearly have so much to figure out. And I just thought it was a really bad loss, man. I give Utah a lot of credit because they play hard and they made the run. But I actually thought Milwaukee really contributed to their own demise in this game. It was a second night of a back-to-back, -back, a road back-to-back. -back. I'm not making an excuse. I'm just pointing it out here, Legs. They flew from Dallas to Utah on the, for this road All right, trip. hold up. I'm going to stop you right there. <laughs> if that's a big factor, then you're down 15-18 in the first yeah. half. You know well, what I'm saying? I don't so know. maybe you run out of gas. Listen, if you got a 14 point lead through three quarters, you can't use back to backs as an excuse. If yeah. you because at that point, the fourth quarter, it's not like fatigue sets in. Adrenaline gets you through the fourth quarter because you're gonna you're on the verge of winning a game in a tough place to win a game. So I don't I just don't see that in this particular case. If you come out flat and they lose by 25, all right, I guess that played into it. That that wasn't the case. They outplayed them. They looked fresher. They looked better the entire game. And then they just, they just, the way that they played that mm. last 10, 11 minutes, just, it didn't look like a contending team. It was a bizarre finish to a game that they really dominated. This question is one that I think about for the Nuggets a lot because they can get the ball popping, 30 plus assists, everybody's involved. And then they can have nights where it's Jokic and Murray going to the two-man game over and over and over again. And I think it can be frustrating in the regular season because you like going away from those things and everybody feels involved. But we saw them win a championship last year where it was the two-man game 90% of the time. And I wonder if it's similar for Milwaukee. Like, I understand what you're saying about Dame didn't have it going. Could he have gone somewhere else? But there's this other part where if they're going to win a championship this year, 
it's going to be be because of Damian Lillard and Giannis in the interplay between the two of them. So is there any argument for, yes, they dropped this game. Yes, they've lost three out of four now. But only thing that matters is that they figure out how to to get that chemistry going. And if you get it by the playoffs, all this other stuff is window dressing. Part of it, Adam, I think part of that's true. But what I'm saying is the one thing that, that was I, I was kind of noticing while I was watching this game. And again, we're always going to make this comparison. Depending how their season goes and how their postseason goes, we're always going to be comparing this team to the to the Drew Holiday pairing yeah. with Giannis. And, and on the nights when Drew Holiday didn't score or didn't shoot well or whatever it may be, the number of plays he was involved in, raking down on guys in the paint, coming up with a long rebound, like drawing fouls, guarding people in the perimeter when you had to. Like, you know, Keontae George lit them up in the fourth quarter. Drew Holiday's exactly the type of guy, young player, go hits a, hits a few buckets, is feeling it. Okay, Drew, you, you know, you're going to guard Keontae George now, and you're going to try to calm, cool this thing down and shut his water off. That's what I'm saying. I was watching Lillard. It's just kind of like a one-dimensional way in which he's going to help them win. And they have so many issues yeah, defensively yeah. still that on the right. nights he doesn't shoot well, I'm worried for them that it's just not going to be good enough to be able to actually get past who they're going to have to get past. And it's an interesting interesting dilemma for Doc. Look, on the nights that Lillard's stroking it and playing well and Giannis playing well, yeah, they, they, it's very tough because they're going to score 130-plus points, and it's going to be very difficult to be able to match that. But on the nights he doesn't, I don't know that, that Milwaukee's got a plan B to beat you. Are you surprised to hear Utah connected to DeJounte Murray so much? I mean, they have the assets, right? They have all the picks. I look at that one and I go, they're such an interesting team because they're a 10 seed. This isn't, I don't think this is their year, but you do have to assemble your roster. And I look at it and I go, DeJounte Murray didn't work out in Atlanta. I think he's still a good player. That's a really interesting move to me that I don't know how I feel about it. I'm not sure what they'd have to give up. You know, according to Jake, a player and pick, so not just picks, but you need to find them somebody. You got to match the salary and everything else. But is that just a fit wise? If you pair Lowry Markinen and you you pair him with Dejounte Murray, do you like that conceptually? Not not a ton, no, honestly. And I look at the guards that they already have, and I just look. I think they've got enough at the guard. I don't mm. know that they. I don't know that that's a, that's necessary. And, and the way that Dejounte Murray plays, I'm just not sure that that's something. That's going to fit well as well with marketing. So yeah, that's a little bit surprising. I don't. I wouldn't expect Utah to be in the mix for Dejounte Murray. I do like Dejounte Murray, and I think I'm going to like him a lot more once he's not paired with Trey Young because I really liked him in San Antonio. So I think he gets to the right spot again. I think Dejounte Murray can definitely really impact winning. Very interested to see if something happens with him because I think if he goes to a, you know, middle tier and above type team. I think DeJounte Murray's a big difference maker, but I also thought he was going to be a huge difference maker for Atlanta, and that hasn't gone that way at all. And I just I, I just think it's it's just not a great pairing alongside of Trey Young. I just don't think that that's yeah. a great fit. I'm not sure who that fit is. I think Trey Young almost needs to be on a team like Allen Iverson was on back in the day, man. You surround him with yeah. screen setters and defenders and guys that'll you – know, and just let him do what he wants offensively. That might work. Um, but I think – the pairing alongside DeJounte Murray and some other guys on that team that are primarily offensive-minded players, I just don't think that that's a threat to anybody. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, over the weekend, the Lakers beat the Knicks in the Garden. The Knicks are obviously very depleted. Um, 
And we got to, it made me think, I mean, first of all, I don't know if you saw LeBron with the Knicks towel over his neck. He had Knicks clothing walking in. He's got, he's tweeting emojis. He's doing, this is, it's this time of year for LeBron to kind of put the pressure on whatever team he's on to make these moves. I thought it was hilarious, but I'm actually less interested in the Lakers. We'll see what move they do. I feel like they're so far away, but the Knicks, the more I think about them, the more they're in a, such a weird spot because we both love them on our last show. We talked about, we both believe in them as contenders. They have some injuries that might prevent them from really getting to see that before, you know, late in the season. But at the same time, they are a team that could make a move. They could make a move because they're a good team and they have enough pieces that they could make themselves even better. Do you feel, and we had a super chat on this, if you want to pull it up, Emma, we can frame it that way. This comes from Fugazi. He says, I feel the Knicks have to make a move. He says, have to, exclamation point. The time is now. Let's move some picks. What do you guys think? I the I actually think it's an interesting question because they're so good they could win it this year, but if you could become better, you know, then you might become favorites out east. How do you feel about the Knicks? Yeah, I think look, I, I think what's ha- what happens is sometimes players outperform even internal expectations and it makes you recalibrate like wow, okay. And I'm talking about Brunson, of course. I I say the same thing about Halliburton in Indiana. I don't think the Knicks when they got Brunson, and they 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 you know they'll probably deny this and say, oh, we knew exactly what we were getting with Jalen Brunson. I don't buy that. They knew they were getting a really good player, and he played so well in the playoffs with Dallas and all of that. They didn't know they were getting this. They didn't right. know they were getting a guy now that like literally every single night now has an answer for anything he sees. And and you know on a on a on a mediocre night, the guy gets thirty. I don't think that they thought that's who this was. But now in watching him play and realizing this is what they have. And now you go out, you know, you make the Ananobi deal because of that, because of what Brunson is showing you he is. So now you're saying, wow, the Bucs have issues. Like the Bucs are not a team that the Knicks wouldn't think they could beat in a seven-game series. Now, Boston is clearly the best team in the East. They're the most loaded team in the East. And if you're the Knicks, you're looking at what you have currently, you're thinking, okay, like we've, we've climbed all these rungs in the ladder, but we're still not on level with Boston. We could battle them. We'd play them in a t- tough series. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about winning the Eastern Conference, getting to the finals, winning an NBA championship. Absolutely. They're looking at their situation differently now. I would not be shocked whatsoever if the Knicks are they continue to be active and do something else. And the last team that's interesting to me is the Orlando Magic because, one, they win, they're, they're healthy. It's been a long time since they've been healthy to the degree they are right now. But they go into Minnesota and they get a win. They hand them just the fifth loss of the year. That's you know, that's a, a really impressive win for them to, to grab that one against the West number one team. They're in the same spot. We talked a lot about Indiana and being close to push their chips in. We've talked a little bit about, you know, the Lakers or Utah, those teams in that same zone. Orlando's in that same zone, and they both have the future and, you know, the assets right now to make a move. Do you feel like they are a team that you would like to see make a move? And if so, are they one move away from vaulting themselves into that Knicks Cavs territory where it's like, hey, this team might be a contender out there. Yeah, I think they probably so man, we now we have a lot of different different tiers, I think, in the sure. Eastern Conference. I don't know that I don't know that I'd put them quite on that level, but they'd be right, right there right. knocking on the door with them. Right. They absolutely would. Like I don't I wouldn't consider them right now in in, in the same class as an Indiana when they're healthy. Uh, but but this would put right. them there and maybe put them a little bit above that okay. if they were to do something like that. You gotta remember too that like you talked about uh, the impressive win at Minnesota, you know, that that's a four-game road trip. Now, they did get Detroit and San Antonio on that trip, which certainly helps. But they lose to Dallas by by two points, I believe, in a, in a game that's one possession game with 30 seconds to go 
or that's another yeah. big road win. So to yeah. your point, they they had they were shorthanded for a while. They're back healthy again. They've won three straight games. Super interesting, man. And and again, it's similar. Like I think it's because Bancaro is even better than they thought. Bancaro right. is legitimately a guy now that gets it done night in, night out, like consistently penciling in that that top tier production. It makes them rethink. And they got a lot of young pieces and they've got some some I think some some guard pieces that are so similar that they could they could move the some of those guys to give it maybe a contender some depth and get something back in return that fits their style a little bit more. I, I, I agree. I'm so interested in Orlando. I was so high on them early on in the year. They had the injuries and looked kind of bad. They they went through a tough stretch, but I'm curious to see just how good they can be. And by the way, Franz Wagner, 38 points uh last game. Like he's also kind of coming on. So they're a team that I think might be sneaky better than their record says that they are. And I'm curious to see if they can keep it going. Uh, hit that outro music for us, Emma. Legs, any other final thoughts just about the trade deadline stuff that we talked about today or, or any other players or teams you're really thinking about? Uh, I'm just really curious more than anything else of which teams that are already like in the top four in either conference that still are looking at themselves and saying it, 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 it's not enough. Or even a team like Phoenix that right now is not in the top four, but they're top four talent. Like right. which of these teams that, are, that we think potentially could win it all actually go out and they continue to make something happen. That's what's going to be fascinating. It sounds like you talked to Jake and I talked to other people and, and, and everybody's kind of sitting around going, I don't know, man. I don't know if, they, if much is going to happen at all. And I got a weird feeling that we're going to get some serious surprises by Thursday. Man, it would be wild if like a Jimmy Butler caliber player gets on the move or something like that. You know, he was eligible for an extension. They haven't signed one. You always read the tea leaves on things like that. So yeah, this might be one of those years where something comes out of left field and, and changes the whole complexion. Legs, it's good to be back. This should be a very interesting week, man. I, I'm, I Trade deadline week is really fun, but I'm also excited for it to be over because I want to analyze these teams as they're complete, oh. their roster. Yeah. I can't wait to see what that is. You read my mind every year. I say the same thing. I hate the hypotheticals, man. Give me something yeah, concrete, and I'll tell you. I'll tell you the fallout from it, and if I like it. But ninety nine point nine percent of every hypothetical thing we discuss leading up to it does not happen. So, so just give me what actually happens, and then we can break it down. I'm looking forward to doing that on Friday with you. All right, that does it for us today. Thanks again to our guest, Jake Fisher. Check out his book, Built to Lose. You can get it on Amazon or wherever you get your books. For me and Legs, thanks for tuning in. Hit that like button on the way out. We all silly like the mayor. 